Well, I do invite you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3 is where we'll be looking, and we've been studying these seven letters to the churches of Asia Minor, which is, of course, uh, modern-day Turkey. We're going to be looking at Sardis today, and Lord willing, we'll look at the church in Philadelphia next week and the following week, the church in Laodicea. And then we're going to start a new study on 1 John, and you see the posters around the church uh, trying to promote that. Uh, really, 1 John will help us build upon what we're learning here. What, is, uh, what does it mean to be an authentic Christian? John's in his letter is concerned that people are not deceived, that they understand truly what it means to be a Christian, what a Christian should look like. And so we'll be exploring that uh, over the weeks and months as we look at the first letter of John. But today we look, uh, turn our attention to Revelation chapter 3, uh, Jesus' word to the church in Sardis. And now we read God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write... The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour. I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Indeed, may we hear what the Spirit says says to the churches through God's word this morning. Well, as I studied this uh, letter to the church at Sardis, I I thought of zombies. Zombies. You know, zombie shows and zombie fiction have kind of taken off here over the last few years with books uh, or with with television shows like The Walking Dead. I've never watched it. I'm not really interested in zombies, but I know a lot of people are and love that show, and it's kind of disgusting, I think, to to me. But uh, there's some novels out there like Pride and Prejudice and uh, Zombies. They've taken Pride and Prejudice and and mixed in uh, some zombie fiction. So uh, Jane Austen's heroine, Elizabeth Bennet, goes around killing zombies, and uh, that was quite popular and was turned into a movie. So zombies are kind of the thing here recently, and uh, the reason that I was thinking about zombies when I was studying this, because a zombie can be described as a dead body that has been reanimated through some means, magic or radiation or something else, Uh, but these dead bodies are out uh, walking around, so they're called the undead or the walking dead, hence the name of this show. Well... The church in Sardis Sardis could be described as a zombie church. It looked alive, but it was actually dead. It was a walking dead church. And that's the crushing critique that Jesus places upon this church 
I mean short and to the point and devastating. Verse 1 says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. They had a reputation. The word there is name. They had a name. They, they bore the name of Christian, but they were only Christian in name. They were the first, maybe, nominal Christians. Everything looked good to those who viewed them from the outside. They looked great. They looked like the faithful thing. They looked like the real thing. They appeared to be okay, but Jesus knew the reality. He could see within. He sees the heart. He knows their works, he says. He sees clearly what they truly are. You remember when David or when Samuel went to anoint the new king of Israel? Saul had been unfaithful, and, and so Samuel was told to go to the house of Jesse, and, and there he would find Israel's new king. And the first son of Jesse came out, this big strapping young lad, and Samuel thought to himself, Well, this must be the guy. Look, you know, he's, he's a great looking young man. And and God told him, I have, I have not chosen this one. I have, I have actually rejected this one. And he said to Samuel, he said, I, the Lord, sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And that's what he's doing here to the, to the people in Sardis. He sees clearly what they are. Everybody else thought they were great. They had a great reputation, but it was in name only. It wasn't a reality. Jesus looks beneath the service. He can survey our motives, our thoughts, and our desires. He can see how much reality there is behind our profession, how much life behind our facade. So as we stand here today before the Lord, we stand here knowing that he sees each one of us clearly. He knows exactly where we are spiritually. Make no mistake about that. Why is that important? Because the opinion of Jesus is the only opinion that really ultimately matters. He sees us. He knows us as we truly are. Well, what's his opinion of you? That's the question we need to ask. What is his opinion of our church? What would Jesus say about us? Would he say that we are alive? Or would he say that we are dead? Well, we've got to explore this. We've got to explore this question. Because we bear the name of Christ and we represent his kingdom as his church. Are we true to him and what he has called us to be? What he has called you to be? What he has called me to be? What he has called this church to be? This is really what we are pursuing in our emphasis on revitalization. We want... We want to know if there's truly life here, to be, and we want the, the life that we have to be increased. We want to be revitalized, to experience renewal, new life. We don't want to be dead. We want to be alive. And just by saying that we need revitalization, I don't think anybody here would deny that this church doesn't need to be revitalized, but by confessing that, it means that this church does not have the life that it should have. We're confessing that. That puts us in a good place. See, 
Just by saying that we need revitalization is a confession that our church needs something. And it goes beyond numbers. We're not just looking to fill up the pews. That'd be great. But in focusing on revitalization, we are not just pursuing a full church, a full parking lot. What we want is spiritual health and vitality to be a church full of people who have a joyful, daily, living, loving relationship with the Lord to truly glorify God and enjoy Him on a daily basis. The church in Sardis did not have this. Jesus says in verse 1, I know your works. And then verse 2 elaborates on what he knows about their works. He says, I have not found your works complete, complete in the sight of my God. Now the, the important word there is complete. If you've got the King James, it says perfect. Now the word literally means to be filled or full. So for example, if we had this glass of water and it was full, complete, you know, if it was all the way to the top with water, it would be perfectly filled. It would be completely filled. And that's the, that's the idea behind the word there. The works were, were not complete. Their works were not full. It was, it, it was just outward show. There was no body to it. it, it it's like a shell, and there was no filling in the shell. It's like a facade. A facade is a, a false front. You can poke holes in it. Their works were just a facade. They could, the Lord was poking holes in their works. In other words, they were hypocrites. They were like the Pharisees in the New Testament who looked religious. They looked very spiritual, but it was all appearance as Jesus repeatedly pointed out to them. Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I've had the, the difficult task of picking out coffins for family members over the last few years. And, and man, there's some really beautiful ones. And they're very expensive. And uh, the, the outside is beautiful, but, you know, inside is a dead person. And that's the imagery that Jesus is using here about hypocrites. They look good on the outside, but on the inside they're dead. And that's how he describes the church in Sardis. You have a name, but you're dead. People think you're alive, but you're dead. In Isaiah, the Lord said to, to Isaiah, This people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. And that's exactly what is being described here in Sardis. They said the right things. They even practiced some of the right things, but it was all an outward show. and Their hearts were far from the Lord. Paul warned Timothy about these kinds of people in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, 
ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now if I stopped there, you would think, man, that's some really wicked people that, that are just being described here. People that are obviously wicked. But the next phrase, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. So you can have the appearance of godliness while being self-consumed, uh, a materialistic, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, and the, you know, the whole list here. You can have all those things and an appearance of godliness. That's scary. Paul tells Timothy, avoid such people. Jesus protects his church. Jesus protects his people. He protects his people from those fake people talked about in 2 Timothy 3. Now, if we're the kind of people being described here in 2 Timothy 3, then Jesus is going to protect his true people from us. We're not going to grow. If we're that kind of people, if we are... Christian in name only. If we look living but we're really dead, if we're harboring sin underneath the facade of righteousness, God's not going to bless that. He's going to protect people who truly come to know Him from people like that. And if we're those people, He's going to protect His people from us. We don't want to be those kind of people. We don't want to be people who, as verse 4 points out, have soiled their garments, and that's speaking of their righteousness, their holiness. So this is how the church in Sardis is described. Now Sardis was a commercial center, it was very wealthy, which probably led to its apathy and its mediocrity. You've heard the saying, rich as Croesus, you know, he's rich as Croesus. Well, Croesus was a king, and, and he was uh, a little before this time, well, a few centuries before the writing of this, but his, his palace, his, his capital of his kingdom was Sardis. Now, Croesus was wealthy. He was a, an extremely wealthy king. That's why we say rich as Croesus. And the stream that flowed into uh, Sardis was flowing from a, a local mountain there. And this stream is, is said to carry golden sands. And what it was, was gold dust that was coming out of that mountain, flowing from that stream. And it was during the reign of King Croesus that the metallurgist of Sardis figured out a way to separate gold from silver. So in those days, you used gold and silver for, for money. And, but there was no way, because you couldn't separate the ores from one another, there was no way to tell how much gold or silver was actually in the lump that you had. So it was very difficult to tell. So their metallurgist in Sardis figured out how to separate silver and gold. And so they were able to provide nearly pure silver and gold coins from Sardis. And that made the currency trusted. In fact, Sardis is where our modern currency was invented. So this was a materialistic 
wealthy place. And you'll notice here that there's, like, like the other letters we talked about, there's no heresy mentioned and there's no persecution mentioned. I've given you a quote in your outline from, from Caird, and he said, Content with mediocrity, lacking both the enthusiasm to entertain a heresy and the depth of conviction which provokes intolerance, it was too innocuous to be worth persecuting. In other words, they were so worldly that they couldn't be bothered with any heresies. They were so disinterested in spiritual things that they didn't even bother with any of the heresies that were out there. And they were so worldly, or they were so like the rest of the world, the world didn't bother with them. But they were great people. Everybody thought so, except Jesus. Well, the good news is that, that, that the Lord is pursuing them here. So he hasn't left them without a word. Now back to King Saul. You remember I mentioned him before. The reason he was rejected as king was because he was disobedient to God. And so David was chosen to replace him. But King uh, Saul remained in power for some time after that. And King Saul continued to try to hear from the Lord, but the Lord would not speak to him. He inquired of the Lord and he got no answer. It's some of the saddest verses in Scripture to, to hear Saul trying to get a word from the Lord, trying to get guidance from the Lord, and the Lord just does not respond to him at all. But that's not the case with Sardis. It's not the case with us either. God has sent his word to us. He's given us clear directions what do we need to do if we find ourselves struggling to be alive, struggling to maintain our life? He gives us a clear course, verse 2 and 3. Two separate verses that need to be looked at as, a, as two different um, units. First, verse 2, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. So first of all, we need to wake up. Wake up. That word means to be vigilant, to be alert. You know, someone whose sleep is unaware. We need to be aware of the situation. We need to, to wake up and, 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 and do something and be active and, and pay attention and strengthen what remains. That word strengthen is used in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul when he goes back in his later missionary journeys, he goes back to the other churches where he, that he has planted and he goes back to strengthen the disciples there. It's the same word here. It's the word that you use, that you would use if you spoke Greek while you were gardening, while you were trying to grow tomatoes. You would put a stake on those tomatoes to strengthen them. See, Paul went to those Small new churches because they were wobbly. You know, they were tempted to fall over. Like our tomato plants, if they get too big, you have to stake them up, strengthen them, give them something to hold on to. It's also the word that you would use for a cane. A cane, what a cane does for you, it strengthens you, it stabilizes you. So, Paul, uh, so, so John through, Jesus through John is telling us to, to wake up, become aware, and to be to be established, made firm, fixed. 
We need to be bolstered up. We need the means of grace. That's what God has given us to strengthen our faith. The means of grace such as God's Word. Spend time in His Word. Hear it preached. Spend time every day hearing what God has to say to us. To come and participate in the sacraments that God has given us to grow in grace. Prayer. To spend time with the Lord in prayer and fellowship. To grow in our love for the Lord, to pay attention to that, to give attention to it. And then verse 3, remember then what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. So what have they received? They received the gospel, they heard the gospel, they received the Holy Spirit. Every believer receives the Spirit. At the beginning, Jesus is described, beginning this letter, as the one who has the the seven spirits of God. That's a, a word for the Holy Spirit. He gives the Holy Spirit to all who ask. Luke Chapter 11, if then you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The Holy Spirit gives us life. Do we hear the gospel? Have we responded to it? Do we know the Lord truly? We need to remember that. Keep it. And the word keep means to keep it in view, to take note of it, to, take, to keep looking at the gospel and applying it to our lives, to keep crying out to the Holy Spirit, to not grieve the Spirit, but to be filled with the Spirit. You know, Paul told the Ephesians, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And when someone is filled with alcohol, the alcohol takes over and they do silly things. They're con- completely controlled by the alcohol. We're supposed to be controlled by the Spirit and repent. Turn from our wicked ways, just like we've read here uh, in Isaiah at our uh, assurance of pardon. And Jesus says, if you'll not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. He's not talking about the second coming. He's talking about coming in judgment. There's going to be a judgment upon you. Sardis was built on a hill so steep that the the inhabitants thought it was impregnable. So twice in its history it was conquered because people, the enemies came and scaled the walls and they were so overconfident and apathetic that there was no guard or watchman on the walls. And the Persians and the Romans both conquered Sardis through that means. So we need to be on alert on the watch and pay attention to these things and seek the Lord while he may be found. Now quickly, there's just some promises there that we have. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. Verse 5, And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. The one who conquers is the one who has faith, who continues to trust in the Lord, continues to to pursue the Lord and, and look to him. White garments signifies our justification. He will cleanse us and and declare us right in the eyes of of God. We will never be blotted out of the book of life. It's not a possibility for the one who puts his faith in Christ. His name is written there. And he will confess us before my Father and before his angels. When Jesus Christ vouches for you, then you're accepted. Well, there's a reason to believe that the church in Sardis did heed the warnings, did receive this hard word from Jesus. Because in the second century, Melito, the bishop of Sardis, uh, had a reputation for being eminent in piety and learning. 
And for the flock that he was over there in Sardis, he, he made a trip to Palestine to make sure that he had the Old Testament canon correct. He was so attentive to God's word and wanted to make sure that his people were receiving God's word. And he was one of the first people who wrote a letter or a commentary on Revelation. So he was paying attention to it. And the church in Sardis was, was obviously listening to the warning here. Will we be like that? Will we heed the warnings and listen to the admonition that, that the Lord gives his church? May the Lord give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to wake up, to pay attention, to, to pursue you. And Lord, grant us repentance from our sins. Help us to be not nominal Christians in name only, but help us to be living, vital disciples of yours. Lord, we call out to you. We pray for your Holy Spirit to, to make changes in our lives, to, 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 to form us into the image of Christ, to give us, to give us a, a zeal for you, to snap us out of our apathy. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.